0: You're listening to Making a Living Show. I'm Roby Levy. Hi, my name's Luis Jimenez, and I make content for a living. Luis Jimenez is an actor, writer, and UFO activist. Since moving to L.A., he's become a member of UCB's House Sketch Team and worked with comedic heroes Scott Thompson, Dave Foley, and Tom Hanks. Recently, though, he launched a podcast and has found himself in the middle of a politically charged UFO movement called The Big Phone Home. Here's my chat with Luis Jimenez.
1: Who are you and what do you make for a living? So um, my name is Luis Jimenez. I'm an actor. I'm an improv comedian, and uh, and in pol- literally <laughs> in within the last few months here, I've I've been turned into a UAP activist of some kind.
0: All right, I'm going to ask you right now. For those that mm-hmm. don't know, what is UAP?
1: So UAP is the uh, very new term. A very uh, it's a government issued term for unidentified aerial phenomena, or AKA UFOs. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Yeah.
0: All right. I'm going to put the UAPs yeah, away for now. We can now. get there. We can get there. I'm but, i mean, I'm get an to see how
1: to I'm an actor and an improviser by trade. That's that's where I started. That's like my bread and butter. Right. So tell me how you and got started then. In high school, I've always, from the day I can remember, I've always had a camera in my hand. I've always been making content. And in high school... Um, we had a television production studio. Oh wow! And it was a it was a class. It was one of the few um, production studios in a high school anywhere. As a matter of fact, it was so advanced um, we could broadcast within the school. We could also broadcast to a local television station, and they would play our high school program on the local TV. Um, so within that class, it was. Was, I was it really good f- programming, or was it a really bad station? Oh, it was local. It was so really it, a really I mean, local local television, <laughs> yeah. like you know where they pick up literally anything that people <laughs> will send them. They are dying for content, and when there when there is no content, it's not even a PowerPoint slide. It's like a VHS <laughs> tape, of, yeah, yeah, of like you know <laughs> uh, events coming for the next month. It, <laughs> it was that kind of TV. Um, so, but as a high school kid you know, you can be watching that station and see, you know, your 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 broadcast, the thing you made. So that was cool, you know. Um, and it was unique. And I didn't really understand how unique it was and you know until much later in my life. But I was a very personable person in high school. I I I I didn't have very many enemies, if any. I played football. Um I was a big, you know, I was, I won't say a big jock, but you know i i coasted through high school and when i say that i mean i did as little as i possibly could and i was still pretty much a b student um but the thing the class that i was f- just floored by and constantly found myself in to a point where the teacher would write me notes uh, giving me permission to be late to other classes uh was that television production class when i would first got into that class i was a sophomore <laughs> and the seniors uh, I made one thing, and the seniors loved it so much they immediately adopted me into like their production crew and so, from sophomore year up until I was a senior, I was basically like the man in that in that little TV production. and so when I first got there as a sophomore the this the show was student. You know, events, uh, activities, uh, you know, a, a little bit of sports, a little bit of what's going on in the library, what did miss so-and-so say, you know, just like little stupid things. And it was about 12, 10 to 12 minutes long. And so I come in and, of course, I'm a football player, I'm a personable guy. I'm like, I want to make a sports segment. So I started making this sports segment. And it becomes such a hit that by the time I'm a senior, I'm playing with green screen. I'm doing intros for the show. The show is like ten minutes. Okay, the entire length of what the original show was, and then all of the other things were squeezed into the like the last two minutes. <laughs> you know, yeah. few minutes of the show. And um, and like it was got to a point because we every Friday. It was a TV station. Every Friday we had to have the thing done to broadcast to the school. So I would have to sit and edit and beat deadlines in high school. What were you me? editing on? Back then? I was editing on a reel to reel on a VHS reel to reel. So I would have to go frame by frame, trigger it down, digitally cut it, and then, and then put the tape together. And then it was a process, but I, Fucking loved it. I loved it. I soaked it up so hard to a point where my teacher, Miss Moina, I'll never, she's like my favorite ever. And um at the end of my senior year of high school, I like I said, I wasn't like a all the teachers liked me, but I wasn't, you know, a valedictorian or, you know, the 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 chemist or the politician guy in high school. Um and at the end of the year there was a teachers award in other words the teachers got together and they voted on students and you know like who they thought were worthy of accolades and i never had a teacher ever ever give me anything remotely close to what miss moina gave me in my, my my last few days of senior high school i get an invite to this event And I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I get there and I'm sitting on stage, okay, in front of our auditorium, which is a big theater, holds a thousand people. I'm not kidding. Like, this is a high school. And I'm looking on stage at the other kids that are also, that have also been invited. And I'm saying to myself, what am I doing here? Like, this is like the smartest kids in the school. I don't under, I was genuinely confused. And the ceremony begins and Miss Moyna comes up and she gives this speech about me and my work ethic and my passion and just everything that I, I didn't even know I was pouring into it, but she saw it. I haven't even thought about this in a long time. It's like making me emotional. She saw it and um, she, you know, she, She, um, she said that for all these people and my parents were there. And, and for the first time they looked at me like, Jesus, what have you been doing in this class? (laughs) And, um, and so that was like the start that was like, I knew I wanted to be in TV production. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be an actor because I, I ended up, you know, hosting and editing the show. So like, um, and then that after high school, I had a couple of offers to play football for some division two schools in Illinois in some really cold environments. And so <laughs> I was like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm clearly, I'm not a football player. Like that's not my path. So I decided to not do that. And, um, I attended community college cause I was really just like, I didn't know what to do. Um, so I went to community college and a community college, um, they had a, again, another television and radio broadcasting part. So in the first year of that, of school, I finished every single course I possibly could on, on television broadcasting. And i the, the, I can't remember the professor's name, but he taught me how to write commercials for radio. I had to do a radio show. Like, and he said, you know, when when he was giving grades, he's like, your program was one of the best I've ever seen as a professor. Um, and he's like, I think you really got a shot at this. And so in that process, I had read in Craigslist that this improv group was looking for improvisers, and the line and, the, and it was something I was paraphrasing, but something along the lines of, "Do you like whose line is it anyway? You know, <laughs> are you into blah blah blah?" And I was like, "Yeah, that's totally me. I totally watched Whose Line." And and every time the show's on, I I'm just like imagining in my brain like how I would react to the situations that they're putting on stage, and so I I took like a duck to water. I went, I auditioned, and they. They called me before, before as I was literally, I was, I walked maybe, I don't know, a hundred feet and somebody came running out after me. They're like, dude, you're in, <laughs> you're in. Okay. So, so I studied improv in Miami from, I'd say 2000, from like 1999, it was actually like 99. Cause that's when I graduated high school to about 2004. And within that time we had Miami was not an improv scene. Like, you know, you got, it's Chicago, Toronto, New... And it really was just Chicago at that point, in, at that time. And New York was kind of coming up. And um, and within that time, we we organized the first ever Miami Improv Festival. And that's when I got exposed to some of the funniest shit i've ever seen in my life especially from Chicago, was this this group uh, called the defiant thomas brothers and they had this like really tight 15 minute improvised show that wasn't improvised it was it was all sketch but you could tell everything was inspired by an improv scene it was so good dude and i and i was like that's it i got it i got it I can't, I'm not going to be able to do that kind of work here because it's just, the. it's only one improv group. I have no options. I need to go somewhere where I've got a lot of options. So serendipitously around the same time, my buddy, uh, who's well, like one of my best friends now, and he, I didn't know at the time, this guy, Joe Tax was introduced to me by uh, my fellow improviser buddy, Dave Zeltner in, in Miami. And Joe's from New York, and he was doing an improv group out in Long Island, and uh, and I was at the time thinking about moving to New York City or Chicago, because uh, those were the two spots for improv. So he came down. I met his friends, and we just hit it off. It was just like, oh shit, I'm moving to New York. That's it. So I moved. In, I grabbed all my shit, um, and, and I put it in. Like I went to a surplus store. I bought a big. Did like army duffel bag, put as much stuff as I could in there, found an apartment, moved to Forest Hill, Queens. And then that's where I studied improv for the first from 2004 all the way up until uh, 2010. I did improv at the UCB. I did a bunch of sketch stuff uh, with, with primarily the, the guys I worked with was a company called face off unlimited. And now they have a show in, in uh, St. Mark's place that is sold out every week. I mean, it's insane. It's one of the best improv shows in the country. And not only that, it's the only improv theater that I know of that pays their actors. Every single one. Really? How do the other ones work? Um, they don't get paid. They do get paid. No, 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 no. (laughs) They don't get a cut of the door. They don't get a you know part of the bar. It's not like it's not. Nope. No, 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 no. Usually, the improv theaters are schools. They're training centers. So you're just there. You just want to get on the stage. That's all you give a shit about. That is it. Um, but you know that's an old way of thinking, especially when uh you're part of that training center for say four or five, six years. And you're a regular staple on that stage that people come to see. And that's bullshit. Those, those actors should get paid, you know, like they should be paid because they're putting in a lot of work and they're making money for the theater. So these guys have figured out a way how to do that. And basically what they've done is they've combined a restaurant with an improv theater and, and they've made it incredibly interactive. It's called Batsu. If you're ever in New York City, once things get back to normal. I remember New York um, City. Yeah, you remember. Yeah. You remember what it's That's like. Sure. Um, the, the show is called Batsu. It's Japanese for torture, like a, a, a Japanese game torture show. <laughs> and essentially the idea is it's, it's whose line is it anyway, but instead of uh, Carrie hitting the buzzer at the end of the scene, it's a torture so, you know, if you do a bad scene or if you made a mistake or something goes wrong or if you sing the wrong, you know, the, the thing doesn't rhyme, whatever the game is. They cut if something you off. break if you bring no not that <laughs> extreme. It's like you get um, like a torture would be like you get you have to put your hand uh, your hands in a in a sushi boat full of mouse traps, or you've got to <laughs> uh, you got to wear you you got to wear a scene with one of those shock collars for like a dog. <laughs> um, and what's what's really 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 cool about this show is it sounds barbaric, right? As I'm telling you and even as even if you buy the tickets you're going to walk into that theater going what the hell is going on and the first torture you might even see right you you might be like okay what is this this is this almost doesn't feel right but then you start laughing and by the second game i don't even think it takes a second game by the end of the show you are a roman mob you are screaming for their blood. Like it is so. I, I've done the show a bunch of times. Um, and, uh, but I've also sat in the crowd and watched the crowd turn. And it's really fun to watch because it's like, wow, you want to see mob mentality? Go to this show. It's a blast, man. They got beer, they got sake, there's Japanese hosts. It's super diverse. It's hilarious. It's a great, like, group thing to do. I feel like I'm plugging my friends' improv group in, in New York, but it's awesome. But anyway, yeah. So from there, I moved to Los Angeles, and I continued to study improv and acting out here. Were you doing UCB? and Yeah, when I moved out to LA, well, I first... <laughs> so the first thing that happened was uh, I, I came out here to start doing the Groundlings, mm. and I started doing the Groundlings, and I hated it. Not nothing against the ground groundlings. Um, I the, think maybe it, it was just, it was, um, it just didn't feel as natural. The guy who was teaching the class, I had a feeling didn't like me for whatever his reasons were. I don't know. It just felt a little more clicky, but, but I also have a lot of friends that have gone through the program who are brilliant. Like, I mean, we're talking about Will Ferrell has gone through that program um you know the the some of the greatest you know minds uh that have ever been in in the comedy game and and people that i know now that are making extraordinary uh career leaps that i know who have all gone to the groundlings and 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 they've even come to me and they're like lou you should do it one more time maybe that just that first class was just You know, you had a bad teacher, whatever it was. I, but you know, everybody's like, "Dude, you would kill it there," Uh, but I just never got back to it. I, I I really liked the format and the comfortability of the UCB style of improv. Uh, Groundlings was more sketch and character based. What's UCB? More? Um, it's improv. It's just it's gut. On. It's reaction. It's pure reaction. Um, and 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 the thing I love about improv is the more honest you are, the the better the scenes tend to be. So the vulnerability is also just scary, but a lot more of a high like i can write a sketch and sketches are funny but there's there's nothing like being on a stage with four or five other performers and having an epiphany a point in the show especially if you've worked together a lot it's like a band you can read each other's moves so if you want to like you know go on a solo everybody backs up it's like okay lose going on a solo if you want to you know if you want to if you want to lay back and and like it's like you could read each other's minds so the scenes become just magical and and the the best part about it is you'll never see it again yeah ever <laughs> ever and i loved the i loved sometimes well if you were if you were in the cult that was the ucb in the early 2000s and when i say that i mean you were there for every sunday um they did ask hat and the UCB theater in New York city and ASCAT is the, the main improv group. It had, it had, uh, um, you know, Horatio Sands, it had Amy Poehler, it had Matt Besser. It had the original four from the UCB where an ASCAT and every Sunday, in the ASCAT was a free show. It was their only free show at the time. And it was the best show. The only deal was you had to show up like three or four hours early to get in line, to go see an ASCAT show. And oh, I would see stuff on that stage and then I'd watch Saturday Night Live the, the following week um, because they had a full six days to pitch it and work on it in the SNL. You would see little moments in ASCAT that would pop up as sketches at SNL. Right, And it was just like I was in that. Like I was in that. It was so, so cool. So, um, so yeah. But when I moved to L.A., um, I really stopped doing improv uh, because I was writing and I was helping guys make stuff and, you know, just trying to get a footing into Los Angeles, trying to get an agent, trying to do this, trying to do that. And um, I was dirt poor. I bought a scooter when I first moved out to L.A. I actually just bought another scooter because it's actually the best mode of transportation out here. Um, I remember my first scooter. Yeah, it was a little tiny little Yamaha, uh, or Honda. It was a little Honda, like 150. Dude, I mean, I I could tell you some stories about that, but the coolest one was when after the, I I moved to Los Angeles, I bought that scooter in the first, I think 10 days I lived here. And then two days later, uh, another Craigslist ad, and it was a production company. Uh, from a movie that tom hanks was directing and they were putting out a a call a casting call for people who had scooters (laughs) because tom (laughs) hanks tom hanks was looking for a (laughs) scooter game for this movie he was directing (laughs) and i look at this ad i'm like what are the odds man that i move out to los angeles and this is the first acting gig not that i that i saw <laughs> you know, like this is the first one I actually went on. So I get on my I call my buddy, Kevin. I'm like, Hey Kev, there's this, cause he also had a scooter, you know, I was like, dude, there's this little casting call down in, uh, in Van Nuys open North Hollywood. They were doing it at that sportsman's lodge. You know where that is, Roby? <laughs> yeah. In North Hollywood. Okay, sure. so that's where the audition was. And, um, and so I had to drive from West hot and mind you, I just bought this scooter. Okay. I had to drive this little thing and I'm a big guy. Okay. Like I'm six foot and probably at this way, I'm probably weighing like 260, 270. Okay. I'm a big <laughs> dude. And, uh, and so I hop on this scooter and I, I call my buddy Kev. I'm like, Hey, I tell him about the casting. I'm like, you want to come? He's like, Yeah, man, that'd be cool. We had to get up super early. But the thing that was, I remember clear as day was it was the first time I took this scooter through cold water canyon. And that, if you know anything about Coldwater Canyon Road in Los Angeles, it's super curvy. But beyond that, it is like Italian streets. They're not very freshly paved. There's a lot of cracks. There's a lot of things. And if you're new to the scooter game and you're just trying to, like, not kill yourself, it's, it's a dangerous, very dangerous road to be scooting on. Uh, but the good thing is it, there was not a lot of traffic, so I made it.
0: Yeah. And Tom Hanks was really looking for a very, very cautious yeah. scooter gang. Clearly exactly. he's exactly. very, very
1: concerned about, about safety and yeah. So dude, I show <laughs> up there, right. And I, they they've cones set up and they're like, okay, go down the cones and turn around and come back here. <laughs> um, and here's a little also, uh, this, is, this will be a secret that everybody will hear for the first time. Nobody hears this show. Well, I know. Well, that's fine. <laughs> the, this is like a secret. Nobody knows. Um, Tom Hanks, when in that casting call, they, they they said, you have to have a motorcycle license, which I did not have. Uh, I did not have one, but I went anyway, because I was like, fuck it. This, who knows? Maybe I'll get lucky. Or maybe I could get my, I think really my thought process was, well, maybe I could get the license before the production starts. Um, and so I went, I they I went around the cones, and, uh, and a lady came up to me, and she's like, what are you doing this, this uh, Tuesday? And I was like, nothing, you know, she's like, okay, I want you to be at this address. So I show up to the address. um, And I'm, you know, I'm excited, but nobody's told me anything. I show up to the address and it's the casting director by the name of Judy Boulay. And Judy's a really, really, really smart, very great casting director. And one of the sweetest souls you'll ever meet. Um, And Judy goes, so, Luis, Tom Hanks is obviously, you know, looking for a scooter gang, but he's looking for eight core members of this gang. And these core members are going to be a very big part of this film. I'll say, okay, all right, go on. And she's like, so what I'd like you to do is improvise a scene. And she's like, do you know what improv is? I'm like, yeah, (laughs) I know what improv is. A little bit. And she goes, okay. I pretend like you're in a speech class, and you're giving a speech on something that's super simple, like for example, changing a tire, or um, making a waffle, or you know, whatever. What you know, doing toast, like brushing your teeth, something as mundane as like. I was like, I started thinking. I'm like, okay, well, I really love video games, so let me do a monologue on how video games um are going to be the communications of the future because i of course i made it super complex because you know and i could explain you know the 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 stone age sort of evolution of the first atari to where we are today and how now people can <laughs> communicate and it's this beautiful platform for people to connect and and get to know one another so i do this scene and she's just I mean, ear-to-ear smiles. And she's like, I love you. She's like, I'm going to send your tape over to Tom. And she's like, are you available Friday? We may have you come back in and do something else. I was like, yeah, I'm available. My friend drove me to this audition, by the way. I get in the car, and I'm like, you know moving with really sharp movements. And I'm like, I think, I think I just auditioned for Tom Hanks. (laughs) And uh and I'm freaking out, right? So, dude, I we get home and I'm trying to remember if it was that afternoon or it was the next day. I I feels like it was that afternoon. I get a phone call from Judy and she goes, Okay, Lewis. Tom loved your tape, and he would like to offer you the role of Scooter member something. Uh, and uh, you'll, be, you'll be directed by Tom. You'll be working for about a month and a half. I don't have a lot of details right now, but I just wanted to let you know you got it. What and happened? it's going to be, she's like, you're going to have a really big part. Like you're going to be part of this. Like she made that very clear. And I'm like, I'm like, Judy, first words out of my mouth, Judy, can you do me a favor? She's like, yeah. I'm like, can you say all of that one more time? <laughs> because I really just want it to hit me. And so she did. She, she went all through that again, hanging up the phone with her. And I look at my friend, and I'm like, I think I just got to cast in a Tom Hanks movie. And I'm like, fucking freaking out, right? I pick up the phone. First phone call, of course, is mom, right? Clear. As I'm dialing, I get a phone call from Judy again. First words out of her mouth this time were, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please don't be mad at me. And And honestly, I was so elated at that point. I told her. Judy there's nothing you can say to me right now (laughs) that will bring me down so just say it and so she goes so Tom was originally trying to get an actor for the role that we just cast you in he wasn't available when I hung up the phone with you his agents called us and he became available so your role is you'll still be in the gang but you're not going to have a a big speaking role like we thought. And I was like, that's fine. But she also, she also ended that with, but Tom will still be directing you. You'll still be working very close with him. And I'm hearing, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. (laughs) I didn't take it as bad news at all. Because I also knew that all I needed to do was just get on set. Just get me on set. Let me talk to people. Let me, you know, rub shoulders. And it got to a point where, you know, Tom called me on my days off when I wasn't supposed to be there and he's like hey I'm at Paramount can you can you shoot over here real quick we're doing this scene and we we kind of need you and I'm like yep and that was right when I was in the groundlings class and I had to leave my second class because I was like, "Sorry guys, I got to go to Paramount." Tom Hanks just called me, and everyone's like, "What?" I'm like, "Ah, uh, yeah, that's crazy." Of course, that's the most asshole thing to say. It's such a douchey thing to say, and I wish I'd never said that. But it was cool, <laughs> and it was true. Like, that's the first time I, and it was true. Yeah, and um, and Paramount was right down the street. So they're like, just get make sure you get they're like, you gotta go home and get your jacket and your helmet because they you know, make sure things match because I had like this jacket. So um, so long story short, dude, I'm rambling this is going way longer, probably than you wanted to, but it's a podcast, it goes on forever. Short, anyway, if you don't like it, pass, fast uh, forward. Fast forward. There so anyway. Uh, so, so I worked with him for a month. Um, there were moments his producer, Gary Getzman, loved me and tried to give me lines multiple times. And, I, and every time he did, uh, uh, this executive producer would come in his ear and, and say something. And they'd be like, I'm so sorry, Lou. We can't, <laughs> we can't do it, according to the production rules. Because if they upgraded me, then that means my pay goes up exponentially exponentially right. <laughs> and this was a small production uh but you know it was neo vardelos who wrote it who wrote big fat my big Greek Wedding? the name of the movie is called larry crown it didn't end up being a very big hit it's a cute little film but mm-hmm. it's not very memorable um but i got to work with tom tom put me on the on the on the poster of the film Uh, But what what I found kind of disappointing, and the theatrical release, I was in it a lot more. By the time I got the DVD, I was in it a lot less. By the time I got to like HBO, it was like (laughs) you could see me. I'm clearly there, but it's just not anywhere near as much as I was in the first. And I also didn't get any like credits, which I was kind of bummed about because it was like, man, like why didn't you guys credit me? I was part of the film for so long and i don't know if that was like a sag rule thing because i wasn't a member of sag i was doing like that's how i got into sag was that film because i worked on it for so long i i got my waivers in one job which is rare right i got to work on one of the best production sets in hollywood which is rare but you want to know what's really funny Roby? you know who the actor was that took my part who was it rami malek oh really yeah it was Rami Malek. He had just finished working with Tom on the Pacific and he really liked um, uh, Rami's work on that. And he really wanted him for this film, but Rami just wasn't, he was like doing, I think like, um, you know, night at the museum or something. And, uh, I mean, this is the guy who played Freddie Mercury. Now he's an Academy award-winning actor. And so I could kind of look at that and go, well, I'm okay with that. You know, like I lost the role to Rami fucking Malek. Like, okay, cool. <laughs> well, even just like casting by type, like that's a weird person for you to lose a role to you. Yeah. They weren't looking for a type. They were just looking for the best person to fit that role. It wasn't a, it wasn't, we were looking for a Latino guy or a black guy or just something like that. They were very ambiguous. They were just looking for the best thing. And, and it was, you know, Rami that's Malek refreshing. was a that's much bigger name. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I just, it, sucks you know like it sucks because that would have been a a great launching point for me rami malek didn't need that part i mean you go back and watch the film i think honestly i would have been way better in it It, and that's not an ego thing like i would have been way better at in that movie than rami malek because i would have wanted it more and because of your scooter skills and of course my scooter skills yeah dude i just (laughs) I, i i i You know, it's just one, and I've had a lot of moments like that as an actor. And, and that's the thing. Uh, you know, if you're going to get into this, expect to, uh, really fail and fail a lot and even when you're succeeding you're sometimes failing <laughs> it's it's a really weird weird, weird business um, well how do you stay motivated when
0: something like that happens i mean to, for a lot of people that's like shit my dream is right there i'm, on, I'm li- i mean i'm on set with tom hanks i am making right out of the gates how do you keep going after that
1: i'll tell you tom hanks liked me so i'm doing i'm it's not like i'm on the wrong path <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, if I never got cast in the first place, that would have been a, a failure, you know? Um, but i that was a confirmation for me. I was like, well, if I can impress Tom Hanks, like, he cast me, he's like, that's the guy. What more confirmation do you need, you know? And, I mean, that's how I met you. Like, that was, honestly, true. that meeting, meeting you and, and how we did a film together... That for me was bigger—a bigger confirmation than Tom Hanks. Well,
0: I am far more important and talented. Than infinitely, Tom Hanks. way, infinitely Clearly, more important. With a lot more yeah. foresight, you know. I knew right. what you had, so I actually gave you lines. So you know, that's the yeah. That's yeah. I had lines in that,
1: and also I got to work with two of my favorite, you know, who I looked up to as—I mean—the standard the comedy standard, like kids in the hall, you know, that the little film I did, the immigrant, which this is how I met Roby. Um, You know, we met at a film festival and out of that meeting, you know, I met Scott Thompson and he was hanging. They they had a film in the festival and it was the funniest fucking film of the whole festival. And, and I was looking at the guys that we submitted a film with and I was like, dude, ours is nowhere near good enough. Look at this. Like, look how funny this is, man. It's so sharp. And, and that's why I don't work with those guys really much anymore, because it's like, you know, I have a very high standard and I know. What good good comedy is, and I'm I didn't want to be dictated by a bunch of guys who'd never taken a comedy class <laughs> on how to write a comedy movie, you know. So it was very very frustrating, but it did get us into that festival as one of you know the probably the the just good enough films to get in. Well, I mean, but, hang but on, it hang introduced on. me. It, well, no, hold on, <laughs> it introduced me to you guys. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I'm like. Like it, it's the the film we put in there. God it was I wrote it it was my idea um but it's not the way I wanted it to be
0: but you know but that's the, that's the thing with making films making right. television and making stuff is there's a lot of concessions along the way there's concessions mm-hmm. in terms of of most of it comes down to money and time and resources to get the right people to get the best stuff to get all the right things there i mean we all yeah. go through that and all you know nobody sets out to make something that's anything less than stellar
1: I mean that's right. for sure. Then no, gotta, no, the intentions know. are always there. Yeah, it's the execution. But here's the thing. Well, but your man, film was is a that, lot
0: better than you're giving yourself credit
1: for. That's it was good. For sure. It was good. But I can tell you, if we go back right now and we watch both of those films from the exact same time period, yours is going to hold up infinitely better than ours. Well, but listen, infinitely,
0: they're different. And things. That's not, you, you guys wrote a sketch. We wrote a film.
1: Yeah, that's correct. the difference there. Correct. Agreed. But it's also the. It, it, they could still be as sharp. They could still be as, as from a content perspective, they could still hold a standard. And, and as an artist, look, I, because I know how I'm, i and the reason why I know this is because I did a short film by myself. <laughs> I don't think I've shared this with you. God, no. I got to send this to you. Um, it's not a film. It's actually a pilot. It's, it's the concept is, uh, the world's first late night internet, talk show hosted from my scooter and i'm an immigrant <laughs> i'm playing an immigrant okay so it's like think of this guy who just freshly came across the border and somebody gave him a whole bunch of money to make a tv show and this is what he comes up with <laughs> right. so um it was a labor of pure love for me and i think it's my best work ever 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 and I submitted this as a pilot to a digital um, uh, branch of NBC. First, I pitched them. And they're like, ah, I could tell they liked it, but they weren't 100% convinced. So I'm like, you know what? Give me a, I, I got a credit card. <laughs> and I, I was like, I'm making this. Because of worst case scenario, they don't like it. I can take it elsewhere. So I made it. They didn't like it. Or they liked it, but they just didn't feel as the right fit, which I vehemently disagreed with. And the dumb thing I did is I gave it to my agent or my manager and I said, well, see what you can do with it. And he did nothing. So here we are five years after I've made this Roby, I out of a whim because I was uh, submitting a resume for an editing position and out of a whim, uh, I, I put this film in that resume, but I watched it again. I hadn't looked at it in like four years. I watched it and I laughed ass off. And I don't do that with my work unless I, like, I'm very, very critical. And then I watched it again and again and again. And I'm like, God damn, this is funny. So I took that and I hit up my friend, Raphael Augustine, who is one of the organizers. He's got a little hand in the Latino uh, the Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival, which is a, it's a film festival run by J- Edward James Olmos. And, um, and I run it and I, and I did not send it because I wanted to put it in the festival. I just wanted to get his opinion on it. I was like, listen, I shot this a, a few years back and I'm curious, is this festival worthy? You know? And he writes me back, first of all, I fucking love it. I think it's hilarious. (laughs) He's like, I don't know if I could put it in this year's festival because we're a little late in the process. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, that's not what I wanted. Yeah, I just wanted your opinion. He's like, well, my opinion is I absolutely adore it. I I, I think it's a little too short for our festival. But what I did, because I really don't know, he says, what I did is I forwarded it to the programming director of the festival. She loved it. And she hit him back. she's like, "I want to put this in the festival uh that's the good news. The bad news is you still got to pay the festival fees <laughs> <laughs> so I'm an official selection of the twenty twenty one latino international film festival amazing and and now I'm looking at myself and I'm going, Why did I not do this earlier? You know what I mean um like so that's how I know that that project that we met on." doesn't you know what i mean like it's not the same bar even though they're completely different like categories we didn't win any awards you guys did and it's not because scott thompson was in it i'm sure that has a a part to do with it but because it's sharp it's well written it's really well thought out it's original but that's the stuff
0: that i credit scott and of course my brother josh yeah though and dave Polano, and and of course dave foley in it and you Mm -hmm. know these are the folks that you know. They make me look good. I produced it, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, um, the kids in the hall, as you said, they're the gold standard. They're right. the, they're the the real pros. And the the one thing that we learned working with Scott so closely and with the other kids is their dedication to excellence. That right. the, the piece has to be excellent, and that's right. something that Josh and I. As the more we work, the more we put things out, and the more things we wrote and and tried to put together, even without the with the kids. It was something that we really held dear is that it, we were going to be really hard on the work mm-hmm. and really mm-hmm. not hard on each other because it's, you can't be both. That's what made a difference. I got to tell you,
1: I learned that lesson from working with you guys. And I knew I had an unsaid thing in my, because when I would work with my team, that's the standard I went into it with. Mm-hmm. And see, like what would happen is, like, for example, I'm not a writer. I don't sit down. I can, but I my attention span sometimes. I, I just I'm all over the place and I move quickly. I can write, but what they would do is they would write a script and they'd say read it. I'd read it, and then I'd say. It's not good enough. Here's where I'd change it. Here's where it could be sharpened, and this part here I have no idea. I think we should actually like work workshop it like right. let's talk let's do the scene and see where it naturally goes and I was always met with, well why don't you write it?? <laughs> what are we doing here? What are we doing here? Are we trying to make something good that people look at in a festival and go you guys are smart. Like you guys need some money. You guys need just a little bit of resources because all of the things that you guys say you're looking for, you're not doing to get that end result. And then when I, and, and that's why your films hold up, your films will be good. In 20 years, those mouth Congress, the immigrant, those films will be gold in 20 years. They'll still be relevant. They'll still be relatable because, like you said, Dave and Scott, it has to be excellent. It cannot fall below that bar or you're not going to make magic. What do you want to make? Do you want to make magic or do you want to make shit? That
0: nobody sees. There's an interesting thought about this, right? I mean, you know, at the same time, right, not everybody can come into making stuff, whether it's film or whether it's, you know, crafts or little widgets or whatever you're making. You've got to make enough stuff, too. You have to make enough mistakes. You have to keep on looking at it, challenging yourself, refiguring it and doing better the next time, right? For sure. if you don't make enough stuff, you certainly can't make enough mistakes to correct. And it can be really hard, of course. As you're saying, it's like you came in with a vision. You came in with a level of excellence that you were hoping to achieve to realize what you were thinking. What you were seeing. Mm-hmm. If it falls short. I mean listen. Almost everything I've ever done. Falls short. That's the mm-hmm. reality. Of course. And that actually well, yeah. includes the immigrant. That includes 52, 4 pounds. maskathon, right. All of these things. Because nothing can be as good as you're imagining it. Now but that he here, says. You can get it darn close. If you can get it as yeah. close as you can, then as you have something you that's worth watching for other people.
1: You know the story. They may not, you know? Yes, absolutely. I 1 million percent agree with you. But the only thing I will say is that if you're doing that, but you're not, you don't have the standard that you're trying to hold yourself to, you're never going to get any better. You're, you have to put a goal on it. You have to put a standard because you're right your first film is going to suck. Absolutely. Your second film, it's probably your second suck film, <laughs> is still going to suck, but it should be better than the
0: first. It, shouldn't, it certainly shouldn't suck in the same way. You should fix those things. You yes. can't keep making
1: something terrible the same way over and over and yeah, over. It's just, you're, 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 you're spinning your wheels. You, mm-hmm. you have to, and you also have to look, you have to have the ability to say, this isn't good enough. And I'm not going to put it out until it is.
0: And the flip side is, is you also have to know when something's good and not stick it in a drawer for four years and Correct. wait to send it to a festival. You also Correct. have to put your stuff out there. You got to take your lumps. Yep. You got to mm-hmm. see somebody you say, you know what? I put my thing out there. It did okay. It got some laughs. It wasn't awesome. Yep. I, I kind of got showed up by something else, or I wish I had been involved. But then you go meet those folks. You go and right. see those folks. You go and follow those folks. And you sit there and go, right. "I'm going to learn a little something here." Well, you know? And
1: it goes back to what, how the, how we met. Like if it wasn't for that crappy little thing that I didn't that didn't meet my standard, but was good enough to get into the festival, right? You know what I mean? Like. It, it It opened the doors for me to learn and grow more, so that's all I'm saying is is even if you find yourself working with folks that maybe you don't agree with or after some time you go, man, this just isn't changing. this is the same level this we're missing the same details, and you know what? turn around and start your own shit because you're ready it's like it's like um yeah, you know, the best way I could I, I work in a lot of restaurants, right and I've been doing it for as long as I've been acting. I'm almost, I consider myself a professional waiter. I've gotten to a point now where I'm like, I could run this goddamn restaurant. Like I could open a restaurant if I want and I'd be really successful. It's just not what I want. You know, it's just not what I want. Well, tell me about what you want. What's the ultimate goal? What are you trying to achieve? Well, man, that that definition has really changed <laughs> for me. You know, because I like the pandemic is really, put a damper on my career, you know, auditions performing on stage. Like right before the pandemic happened, um, I had reached, you know, the thing about the UCB is I would always constantly be involved in it, but I never finished it because every time I almost finished it, I would get a part or I'd get a movie or I'd get a commercial. Or I'd get something where I would have to repay for the class. And I'm a <laughs> poor actor. I can't pay for a $600 class twice just because I missed two classes. I could pass the class. I'm qualified to go on to the next one, but I can't because of your fucking rules, your stupid rules. So um, this last year, right before the pandemic, I really focused. I said to myself, I need to finish these courses and I need to try and get on a team, whether it be an improv team or a sketch team. And that's what I did. I focused on that, and I got on, on 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 the house sketch team, which performs once a month, okay, in front of big audiences, and there's casting directors and and agents in those audiences every show. It's a it is literally a launching pad in this town. Two days before we do, or two weeks before we do our first show, the theater closes. So what's weird? So I start a YouTube channel, of course. Um. And, but what's weird is that my friend just told me the other day because I, the, my friend who helped me write my, my film, um, I reached out to him. And I was like, Hey, by the way, our little film got into a festival. And, and we, we started talking. And yeah, it was, and I got to a point where I was like, you know, man, I, I almost like, I'm almost, I think I'm quitting. I'm quitting, but I'm, I'm still very much in my realm. It's almost like I've shed a cocoon and now I'm almost like a butterfly. Um and and but as I did that, all of a sudden I get my fi- like I get my film into a film festival. It's like the, <laughs> the the thing that I don't want anymore is now going, Hey, we want you now. Look at look at <laughs> this. And he said to me, he's like, you know, it, it's the, and I don't know if I'm getting the saying, right. But it, he said, it's like the saying goes, you know, the day you quit is the day, everything you ever wanted starts appearing or something like that. Um, and, and so, yeah, dude, it, I, I feel like my last 20 years, I, I could call myself an actor, which a lot of people who've tried this cannot do. So I'm very proud of that. I know I have the talent but it seems like, and I'm not making an excuse and maybe I'm just not good enough. You know? And these are the things I'm thinking about, but maybe I just have bad luck, <laughs> have bad luck. Like Rami Malek, you know, like, uh, there's another, you know, uh, TV show where I got my first get like co-star role. You're talking about, uh, when you are on a co-star on a major network TV show, you're making, you know, Starting 25K an episode. Like it's it's career changing. And I get that role. They move the show to Canada and I lose it because I don't know why. You could have just stayed on my couch. I know there could have been a (laughs) lot of things I could have done, Roby, you know, but like things like that. Yeah. That were just like just out of my control. Like, and that's the thing. I I had no control. And so I said to myself, man, it either it's time to take control or, or I don't, I, I really, there was no other option. It's time to take control. So what did you do? I started a YouTube channel. Right. So tell me about the YouTube channel. What's this? Um, well, originally I started it um, because I was bored and I, and I wanted to keep myself sharp. So when I do get an audition, I'm, you know, in this realm of, oh, I've been performing, right? and maybe that'll translate into the audition room and things like that but what really inspired it is like I'm really into ufos that's what the YouTube channel is all about <laughs> just follow me here um so as what I was working in a restaurant in December of not last year but the previous year and um in walks this guy and I'm looking at him and I'm like I know this guy where do I know this guy from and it hits me like a Like a ton of bricks, the old cliche. And I'm like, this guy who's standing in front of me, his name is Luis Elizondo. He is the former head of the UFO program called the ATIP program. It's called the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And this $22 million program was that was not public, he was in charge of it. In 2017, this department was made public, and a couple of videos came out, three videos, as a matter of fact, two of which were already out, just nobody knew about them. They were very unclassified, one of which was a a classified video that was now unclassified. With those videos, this man was directly linked to the program. And to these videos being some of the cases that he looked at as head of this program. Mind-blowing news. This news went over a lot of the heads of a lot of people because in 2017, there was a lot of chaos in the executive branch. And so every day on the news, it was, oh my God, this guy has done something incredibly terrible. <laughs> And sometimes it was, yeah. And sometimes it was a little hyperbolic. And it, this insane news somehow got lost in all of this. So this guy walks into my restaurant and I freak out, freak out more than any other celebrity I've ever met in my life because the, I've really been into this time. Like when I was 13, I had a sighting, a really close sighting with a lot of people at a party Okay, I was 13. I wasn't high. I wasn't drunk. It was, and it scared people, like adults, not just kids, adults. And so I've got this in my brain. And I see this guy. And at the time I was talking to my girlfriend, I'm like, you know, thinking about starting this YouTube channel. I kind of want to talk about UFOs and bring my actor friends. But I don't know. That just sounds stupid. It sounds crazy. I don't think my friends would be into it. And then this guy walks in and I start talking to him. His name's Luis. My name's Luis. He's from Cuba. I'm Cuban. He was he was born and raised. He was raised in Miami. I was raised in Miami. All of these things are just like lining up. And I'm talking to this guy. I'm like, Jesus, this guy's so cool. He he offers to take a picture with me with his phone and sends it to me. He's like, what's your number? And he sent me his the picture that we took from his phone. Um, I'm like, wow, this is insane. So that was my inspiration to start the channel. I was like, I, all right, I got to do it. So I started this stupid little channel and the, the point, because I'm into productions, I really love watching TV. I'm a, I'm a TV junkie. And so I I love watching UFO shows, of course, but a lot of them I would watch. I'm like, God, this is so stupid. Like it's lame. Like the information's okay. Um, but it's stuff I've heard before. And it's not a real fun way to present this information. And, and a lot of it just feels hokey to me. And so I'm like, I'm going to do a show where I bring in my friends and we review these shows. We watch them and we review them like we would with music or film or anything on TV, like the walking sure. Dead. you know, like there's all of these review shows for video games, but nobody's doing UFO shows. So I was like, Ooh, I found a niche. And the thing about my show is that we don't know what it is we don't have the answer we're not trying to pretend we're not trying to 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 speculate i mean we do do that stuff sometimes but we really come at it from a political aspect and a scientific aspect and how we could further just the discussion let's just talk about it so if you want to find this channel okay it's called the unidentified celebrity review it's on youtube you can find me at twitter at Lou Angelus, lu angeles my link tree is in the bio all of the the YouTube, my big phone home website, everything is in my link tree. And come hang out for a little bit. I've got my dad on this show. I've made <laughs> my dad a star. Okay, like that's how much I'm tripping on content, Roby. So much that I I was like, Dad, you want to be part of this? Because I think people would love you. And they do. They love him. Uh, he's bigger than I am on my show. But I've I figured out a way to interact with my dad. While doing something I love, it's—I've never had this weight lifted off my shoulders in my life. I feel like I finally, finally have stumbled upon what I was placed here to do. If that makes sense, it does. I'm glad for you. Yeah, I am, uh, dude. Thank you. <laughs> thank hey, you. Hey, you kidding me? Thank you. Oh man, I miss your face. I really love you, man. I—you're one of my honestly. You're like. A key moment in my life. You and your brother and every, all the moments we spent. Please send your brother, my love, because I miss his his wild ass. Um, will do. <laughs> all right, my dude. Well, I love you,
0: and I'll see you soon, dude. Subscribe to Making a Living Show on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts. For more on the show, visit makingalivingshow.com and follow along on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Making a Living Show is produced by Next Exit Media and hosted by me, Roby Levy. Thanks for listening.